All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your blessings, your mercy, your kindness. Lord, thank you for all those that are here tonight that's come out in the weather and the rain and the wind and all this nasty weather to, to, to learn, to grow and to develop in their Christian walk and to mature. And, and God, I pray that you'll help me uh, be able to deliver the truth that you have shared with me and help me with. God, I pray that we can learn to, together, grow together, study together so we can rejoice together. I pray for your perfect will to be done tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, guys, I, I got to really go through this quick because this is not one. Uh, this is not one that I can do, okay, half of it this week and half of it next week. We really, we really need to get through this as quick as we can. So some of this, I want to challenge you to go home and read uh, the notes that you have in front of you because uh, I'm probably not going to go in detail uh, uh, line by line in the notes part like I usually have time to do. Uh, but it's good stuff. It's good information that you can take home and read and, and look at and, and be beneficial and a help to you, okay? So with that being said, let's go through this. The first part I want you to see, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I want you to write down the practice that he encourages. The practice he encourages. James is speaking to a group of people. He's speaking to the church, if you will, and he's saying this. He's saying there, actually there's three different groups of people that he is addressing. He's addressing the, the afflicted, he's addressing the merry, and he's addressing the sick, okay? And now, the afflicted, what does the word afflicted mean? It means to bear under difficulty. It means people that are struggling. It means people that are, ha are burdened down, uh, people that are having a hard time. What is he saying here? When you have a burden... When you are going through a difficult time, when you are going through a difficult hour, the greatest thing you can do is pray. Now, I know, I know that sounds like a cliche. I, I know that sounds like, well, you know, but I'm, I'm afraid that most Christians, the prayer is the last resort. It's not the first resort. It's not the first thing that we do. It's usually the last thing we do. It's usually said this way. Well, all we can do now is, but that's not what God says. He says, pray. Do you realize sometimes God allows burdens in our lives and with us as a Christian in our Christian walk because he hasn't heard from us in a while? God will allow things to get. Why? He loves you. He loves you. Now get that. God loves you. He wants fellowship with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk and talk with you just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants a close relationship. He wants a good relationship. He wants a, a relationship where y'all are communicating him with you and you with him. He wants that fellowship. And when he doesn't hear from you, he gets lonely. Now think about that. Now, I, that, was, that was a little facetious word. God is not lonely. But he does love you, and he will take steps so you will come to him. What happens when it gets cold? You will seek the heater. Say amen. And sometimes God will allow it get difficult. God will allow afflictions. God will allow struggles, so we'll come to him. Because in many cases, most of us won't until trouble happens. Because I'm afraid prayer, prayer is not a steering wheel. It's a spare tire, and it should never be. It should never be. Now, when we are afflicted, when we are in a burdensome situation, when we are in difficulty, we should pray. We should pray. Now watch this. When we are married, <clears throat> when we are married, we should praise. Write that word down. We should praise. He's talking about the afflicted. They should pray. They should come to God and say, God, help me in my affliction. Now let me say this because I kind of got ahead of myself. What are we to pray in our affliction? <clears throat> what are we to pray for in our affliction? I believe there's two things. Some of this is in, in the notes part that I gave you, but write this off to the side. Write this off to the side. Two things you need to pray for when you're going through a difficult time. And it's not what you think. Most of us pray, God, get me out of here. Would we all agree? Make this stop. Make this go away. Get me out of this situation. Take this problem out of my life. But that's not what we should pray for. Two things we should pray for. Number one, wisdom. We should pray for wisdom. Wisdom. Why do we need wisdom? We need wisdom to know why we're going through what we're going through in the first place. 
Why are we going through difficulty? The Bible says tribulation worketh patience. Let patience have its perfect work. In other words, sometimes we are in a difficult situation. We are in a hard situation because God is wanting to develop something in us. God is either wanting to take something out of our life or put something in our life, and we need to know the wisdom and have wisdom to know the difference. Say amen. God, what do I need to learn from this situation? What do I need to learn from this hardship? What what do I need to learn from this, this, this situation that I find myself in? Wisdom. Wisdom. Why, why is that important? Because when God puts you through a test, if you don't pass the test, guess what you got to do? Take it over again. I want to ask God for wisdom for every test so I don't have to take it over again. Amen? Now, wisdom. Secondly, is grace. Write that down beside that, beside that particular point in your notes. What is grace for? We need wisdom for direction. We need wisdom for understanding. But we need grace for endurance. God told Paul, I'm not going to take this thorn from you because you need it to keep you humble. But my, help me, my is sufficient for thee. God may not always take us out of the storm, but he can give us grace to endure the storm. Why? Because it's through the storm that God will reveal himself, not just to you, but those around you. We learned that last week. Say amen right there. Now, secondly, secondly, he said, if you're afflicted, pray. If you're merry, praise. Praise. James indicated that everybody does not go through troubles at the same time. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. God balances our lives and gives us hours of suffering, but days of singing. Now read this line with me. Read, I underlined it in your notes. Read this with me. The mature Christian, read it with me. The mature Christian knows how to sing while he is, oh boy. It's not hard for me to pray when I'm suffering. Bless God, I can pray. I can get a, oh God, help me. Come on, say amen. That's not hard. I can do that. I can beg God. I can plead with God. I can get real with God. I can lay it all out there. I'm talking about I can get down. I can get with it. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Man, when I'm in trouble, I can pray. Boy, I need to learn how to sing. What Paul and Silas do? In the jail, at the midnight hour, they have stripes on their back. They've been beaten. Uh, they've been uh, basically tortured, if you want to use that word, but they have stripes on their back, and they are chained. They're chained in the inner prison. In other words, they're in the worst part of the whole thing. And the Bible says at midnight. Why'd they wait to midnight? I believe with all my heart you get a preacher in a group of people. He's wanting to say a word. Say amen. And if you're in the jail, there's a lot of jawing and talking and everything going on. I have had people call me from the jail, and I couldn't even hardly hear anything in the background because of all the noise and the jabbering in the background. So what Paul do? He waited till everything got quiet. And he said, all right, son, you ready? Let's break loose. And son, they got to singing about God, and they got to singing about the grace of God and the mercy of God. And the Bible says there was a jailhouse rock. Say amen. amen. Earthquake broke him out. Why? Because Paul was a mature Christian, and he had the ability, even in his affliction, even in his suffering, because of what God had done for them, because the wisdom that he had received from all of his past issues and all of his past tests and all of his past suffering, he had the ability to sing while he was suffering. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great to develop and to mature as a godly Christian to the point that when others see us in our ordeal, they will see joy, they will see peace, they will see grace, and not whining and complaining. Hello? Any of you marry? Let him, let him sing psalms. Let him praise. I'm glad of this, too. I'm glad there is balance with the Lord. I'm glad there is balance with the Lord. How many of y'all know we need balance? You don't think you need balance? Take one of them little weights off your tire and drive home. Y'all with me? God has to balance our life out. If everything was peaches and cream, we would get spoiled. We would get spoiled. 
If everything was difficulty and sorrow, we would be so broke down. But God, he balances things out. He keeps us in a place where we're humble and we're usable. Now, let's hurry. He said, if, is any among you afflicted, let him. All right. Is any merry, let him sing. All right. Praise or sing psalms. Okay, verse 14. Is any sick among you, watch what it says, let him call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and he that hath committed sins, and if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Write this word down. I had to alliterate it, so here's the word I put. Pursue. He said, if you are afflicted, there's prayer. If they're married, there's praise. If you're sick, it's time to pursue. Now, now, here's where we're gonna here's where we're gonna kinda kinda maybe maybe tread in some water uh that, that's a little new for you. <clears throat> it's a little new for you. My whole life, my whole life, you know, I I, I was always told or always uh, you know, said, hey, listen, if, if you got an issue, if you're sick, anybody, is anybody, this is across the board. This is across the board. No matter what your sickness is, no matter what your issue is, hey, just call for the elders of the church, get the, get the church leaders and, 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 you know, and come and let them put some oil on you and pray, and, and there's something supernatural there, and, and, and there's healing, because that's what the Bible says. But let's, let's do this. How many, how many of you have the ability to erase the tape? See, some of y'all don't even know what that is. Erase the tape. That's back before CDs, people. Cassette tape. You could hit a button and erase the tape. Well, why would you do that? We want to put all new information on here. So how many of you, now let's try this again. How many of you have the ability to erase the tape? All right, let's do this. Let's look at this scripture. Let's look at this chapter like we've never heard it before, like we've never, we don't have no past history, we don't have no past lessons, no past teaching, no past experience at all with this. We're looking at it fresh and brand new tonight. Will you do that with me tonight? Say amen. Amen. All right, now watch. Let's do it this way. Now remember, one of the greatest things that you can do when you're studying the Bible, when you're studying a verse and trying to understand a verse, you got to read something before, And you got to read a little after to get the context of what he's saying and where he's saying it. If that makes sense, say amen. Now watch. In this particular situation, I don't believe, I don't believe this is a blanket statement. I don't believe this is a blanket statement for all that's sick or whoever's sick. I don't believe that's who he's talking to here. Now we have applied it that way. When I say we, I'm talking about church people. For a long time have applied it that way. This is just a blanket, this is just a blanket uh, uh, statement that no matter who you are, if you're sick, just do this and God will do that. You say, why are you saying that? There's two reasons. There's two reasons why I believe this. Number one is the Word of God because it contradicts Scripture. It contradicts, uh, 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 let's say, the situation with Paul. Let's say the situation with Paul. Do you, do, you, do you know that if Paul would have called the elders of the church and say, anoint me with oil so this thorn will go away? How many of y'all think the thorn would have went away? No. You know why? Because it was God's will for that thorn to be there. It was something physical. He said God has sent the messenger of Satan to buffet me. It was something painful to Paul. Are y'all with me? Don't lose me. I'm going somewhere. I believe also because of experience. I was going to say experience first, but your experience should never override the word. Say amen. Because you can have an experience, and it can be totally against the word. Say, well, oh, I had an experience. Well, if the Bible says something different than your experience, it was just the chili you ate last night. Say amen. Y'all with me? There's a lot lot of people... Uh, in, in different denominations, real mystical. And they always go, oh, let me tell you about my, you know, whoa, whoa. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, your experience is Ill- illegitimate. Say amen. 
But my experience is this. I have seen people, and I have seen people prayed for by people that knew God and people that were right with God and preachers that had a real heart. And I believe with all my heart they were sincere in their anointing and their praying, and they prayed over this person, and that person got worse and died. So something's not right. If this is a blanket statement for everybody that's sick and whoever's sick, for them to just come and say, hey, uh, if that's the case, then something's not right. Something's not right. Because of experience and because of what the Word teaches about prayer and sickness. If that makes sense, say amen. Now watch. So what do we do? Let's keep reading. What do we do? Let's keep reading. Watch what it says. Is any sick among you? Let him. Now, he, he, he goes from... He goes from any to a singular person. And I believe he is, he is in, he's specifically dealing with a situation. Let him, the person that's sick, call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now watch what he ties with this. Watch what he ties into this teaching. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed, if he hath committed sins... They shall be forgiven him. Now watch what he says. Confess your faults one to another. Confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another that ye may be. What does he do? Now he brings in sin. I was always talking about a sick person. We are. We are. I mean, it seems like he goes from one subject to another just like boom. But they're the same subject. When we read it together and put it together, he's talking about the same person. Now, let's do this. Let's go to point number two. Let's, put, let's go to point number two, and let's describe what we're talking about. All right, write this down. I want you to put this. Number two, the process he established. Say that with me. The process he established. Watch this. First, we got the sick guy here. We got the sick guy here, okay? <clears throat> got the sick guy. All right, he, he describes a process for this man to get better. First, A, there's a process of calling. Calling. Is any sick among you, let him, let him call, okay? This text, when you put it together, when you put him dealing with sin, and him dealing with sickness in the same two verses, this text seems to indicate that the person is sick because of sin. Now, now you remember the other, the other studies we have done so far? The other studies when we, we said that sometimes your suffering is not because of sin. Y'all have heard that. I mean, we've done it. It was just last week. We talked about it last week. Sometimes it's according to the will of God. How many of y'all know that, that, that Job suffered? How many of y'all know it was, it was because it was the will of God? How many of y'all know it was not because of sin? All right, we have covered that already in the book of James. But now, what if it is? What if you're suffering? What if your sickness is because of sin? I believe that's who he's addressing. He's already covered the people that are suffering like Job. He's already addressed the fact that sometimes we will go through difficulty. Sometimes we will suffer pain. Sometimes we will face hard trials in our life, not because of sin, but because we're doing something right. Well, now he's going to address the other side of the coin. What if we are sick because of sin? I'm going somewhere. I know it. I know it. I got so much. I can't wait to get there. Watch. Watch. The text seems to indicate this person is sick because of sin. This parallels, this parallels 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. Now, what is, what is spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is this. Do you remember when the, when the people uh, in the Corinthian church, now how many of y'all know the Corinthian church, was a, was, it was a bad one? I mean, if you could say there was a bad church, that was a bad church. I mean, they were carnal, they had issues, they were fighting, they were squabbling, they were suing each other. They were mistreating one another. They were, they were treating the, the giftings of God more like toys than tools to work and build with. Are y'all with me? 
They were, they were immature. They were carnal. And this is what he said. Because of the way you were treating the, the communion, because of the way you were treating the Lord's Supper, he says, there's a bunch of you. Watch what it says. Here's the verse. Here's the verse. He says, there are many that are weak and sickly. Say that with me. Weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The word sleep there meant you died. Are y'all with me? In other words, in the New Testament church, not the Old Testament, but the New Testament, there were people that had died, and there were people that were weak, and he's talking about physically, and sickly. Why? Because of their sin. Their sin. Now watch. Let's keep reading. James has described a church member who is sick because he is being disciplined by God. This explains why the elders of the assembly are called. Why? Because the man cannot go to church to confess his sins, so he asked the spiritual leaders to come to him. The leaders would be in charge of the discipline of the congregation. Now, most, most New Testament churches today, people have no idea about church discipline because many churches don't practice it anymore. And we wonder why there's so much foolishness going on in churches today. I'm talking about, anyway, we'll get back to that. Turn with me, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. This is going to be a great study. And don't get mad and, and quit me halfway through. Finish, hear me out. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. Are you there? Say amen. Watch what it happens. Here we have Paul is addressing the church. He's gotten word about issues and things that's going on in the church, and now he's sending a letter to address it. One of the main issues, one of the main problems that was going on, there was a young man in the church having an affair with a stepmama. Uh-huh. You thought, uh-huh. They had problems. I told you earlier they had problems. But you know what the problem was? They were not doing anything about it. Watch. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, are you there? Say amen. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. That's, a, that's an illicit uh, relationship. Are y'all with me? Uh, y'all know what I'm talking about. I got a couple of young people in the church. Y'all know what I'm saying. Everybody with me? Say amen. Y'all know what fornication is. Among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. This is his stepmother. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed. Watch. Let me, let me back up. That he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Are y'all with me? That's powerful right there. In other words, if the person will not repent, we're just going to turn them over to the devil. This is a saved person. This is not a lost person. You don't deal with a lost person that way. They're lost. They don't know no better. This is one who calls themselves a brother. And we'll get to that here in just a second. All right? We're going we're gonna to say, okay, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may have, be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now what does that mean? Uh, leaven always represented sin. And they would eat unleavened bread. Why, what, what is the deal with the leaven? It spreads. A little leaven, you mix a little leaven in the dough, it leavens everything. And you know the principle behind this is this. If you let a little sin go in a church, it'll spread among everybody. Are y'all with me? That's what he's saying. Now watch, now watch. <clears throat> uh, where'd I stop? Verse 8, okay, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, not to company with fornicators. 
yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. What's he saying there? Don't be hanging out with wicked people, people that are sinning regularly. Now, now then, he, then he, he clarified what he said. Now, he said, now, I'm not talking about lost people. I'm not talking about people of the world because then you couldn't even go out this building. See, you couldn't even go out in the mud. You couldn't even go to Burger King. Why? There's fornicators up there. You couldn't go to Publix. You, you couldn't go to school. You couldn't go to work. See, this is common sense, people. Y'all with me? He said, now, I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about people outside of the church. I'm not talking about the unconverted. I'm not talking about unbelievers. Because if you never get around an unbeliever, you can't win them. So that's not what I'm talking about. Watch what he says. Watch what he says. But now, verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any, what, Now he clarifies it. If any man that is called a brother. In other words, if they're coming in here and sitting beside you in the pew and they are a part of our assembly and they say they are a Christian, they say they are saved, they say they are a member of temple, they're, they're part of the body of Christ. If they say they're a brother, they're in the family of God. Watch. That person, if he be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one, no, not to. Well, that's powerful. He said, don't even eat with them. Who is he describing? He's describing an unrepentant saint. He's saying, you got, a, you got a boy in your church that's having an illicit affair, and you're just acting like nothing's going on. He is living a lifestyle that's so contrary to the Word of God, and it's bringing reproach on the name of Christ, and you're just acting like there's nothing to it. There's no big deal. You know what Paul says? Don't even eat with them. Don't hang out with them. Don't fellowship. Now watch, watch. Here's where church discipline comes in. Verse 12. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? Now here it is. Verse 13. Let's all read it. Verse 13. But them that are without, God judge it. In other words, them that are without is talking about outside the church walls. God's going to take care of them. Watch what he says. Watch what he says. Verse, verse 13. Therefore, say it with me, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Who is that wicked person? The unrepentant saint. Not the person that's lost. Not the person that doesn't know Jesus. But the person who says they're a brother. The person who says they're in the family of God. But they're sitting beside you in the pew and they are still living a life of a lost person. The Bible says, put that person away. Put them out of fellowship. Now, it is so quiet in here, we could have devotions. You know why? Because this concept is so foreign to us. But that is how the purity of the church was kept in the New Testament. You know what happened with this old boy? When they dis fellowship with him and put him out God broke his heart and it was through the church discipline that he got right with God say amen but if we treat it like there's nothing no problem that's no big deal just keep doing whatever you want to do live like you want to live why should he get right that's the point I believe personally that James is referencing somebody that is sick because of sin and I'm going to go into detail what I'm talking about. Watch. In the early church, the believers practiced church discipline. 1 Corinthians 5, this is what we just read, is a good example. Paul told the believers at Corinth to dismiss the sinning member from the assembly until he repented of his sins and made things right. It's the elders of the church's responsibility to try and restore a fallen brother. Now watch. B, write this down. Write this down. We see the process of calling. 
It says, if any man is sick among you, let him call. Let him call. Then, then what is he to do? Then what is he to do? It says, uh, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed, if he hath committed, they shall be forgiven him. How? Confess your faults one, two. Watch this. There's a process of confessing. What is this, what is this man who is, who is caught up in his sin? What is he to do? He's to confess. Watch what it says. Did y'all get that process of confessing? Did y'all write that down? All right, now watch. Now watch. There are some practical lessons for the, from this section that we must not overlook. For one thing, disobedience to God can lead to sickness. This was David's experience when he tried to hide his sins in Psalm 32. Secondly, sin affects the whole church. We can never sin alone. For sin has a way of growing and infecting others. This man had to confess his sins to the church because he had sinned against the church. Third, there is healing, physical and spiritual, when sin is dealt with. Say amen. Do not hide sin or delay confession. Now, let's keep reading. I, I want to hurry up and get to see because this is, I, I'm going to just explain it and draw the picture out. The Bible says when, we, when we're dealing with confession, the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, read it with me. He that covereth, read it with me, everybody. He, I, I know y'all are like wigged out right now, but I promise you it's going to get good here in a minute. Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sin shall not, how many of y'all want to prosper? Okay, we can't do it by hiding our issues. We can't do it. We can't do it, all right? He said, he shall not prosper, but, read it with me, whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have what? All right, 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. Read it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Now watch. Here we go. The confessing that James wrote about is done among the saints. Now watch, this is important. Now he was not suggesting confessing our sins to a preacher or a priest. We confess our sins first of all to the Lord, 1 John 1, 9, but we must also confess them to those who have been affected by them. Y'all with me? He says, confess your faults one to another. What does that mean? To come up to the front of the church and say, okay, y'all, I have an eating problem. Or I have, a, I have a whatever, you just put, it, put whatever you want to put right there. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying there, if you've done somebody wrong, you go to them and confess that. You make it right. You confess your fault, your fault one to another. I, I, I badmouth this brother and, 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 and at work. man. Well, if I did that, i come to you and say, look, I'm sorry. I done you wrong. I committed a fault against. Does that make sense? Say amen. Now watch. Now watch. This is, this is really good. Look, we must never confess sin beyond the circle of that sin's influence. Private sin requires private confession. Public sin requires. It is wrong for Christians to hang out dirty wash in public. For such confessing might do more harm than the original sin. Does that make sense, amen? Now watch. Uh, let, let, I've got, I've got the, the, the illustration of Peter and Jesus there, but let's, let's, let's get to the next one because this is, this is really uh, where I want to get to, and, and this, makes, this just opens up everything. Let's look at C. Let's look at C. We, we said A, A, the process of calling. B, the process of C, the process of cleansing. Cleansing. Let me tell you something. God cares more about your soul than your physical body. God, God cares more about spiritual healing than he does physical healing. Now, here's, here's the way this works. Let's, let's lay it out so this makes sense for everybody, okay? Now, how does this work? How does this work? Say we have, say we have an unrepentant saint in the congregation, <clears throat> This person that, that James is referring to in this particular chapter. This person that's sick. This person that has the issue, okay? 
Let's, let's see how this works. Number one, number one, look at this. The elders, who, who, who is he to call? The elders. Why? Let's describe why. The elders or the leaders, and I put in parentheses the word spiritual on purpose because there's another verse that we're going to tie in with this. The spiritual. The leaders, the elders of the church should be the most spiritual people in the church. The people leading the way, the people guiding the way, the people that God put in authority in the church, they should be the most spiritual people in the church. So this is what happens. When somebody is is constantly committing sin, they're unrepentant. They won't make it right. They won't deal with it. This is what they are to do. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 11 through 13, it says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, If any man that is called a brother, see, now we know this is not a lost person. This is a saved person. Are y'all with me so far? This is a saved person who's unrepentant. He's fornicating. He's a covetous. He's he's an idolater. He's a railer. He's a drunkard. He's an extortioner. With such a one, no, not to, don't even have fellowship. Don't even eat lunch with him. Verse 13. But them that are without God judges, therefore, now he's talking to the leaders, the elders, the spiritual people in the church, because the church discipline, it's their responsibility. It's their responsibility to care for the purity of the church. Are y'all with me? Watch. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So, when somebody's unrepentant in the church, the elders are supposed to put them away, saying, look, you cannot... You cannot be in full fellowship with the church because of what you're doing. You have to make this right. You have to make this right. You cannot continue to live in sin and proclaim the name of Christ. You have to make this right. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So he's out of fellowship. He is put away. Say that with me. He's put He's put away. Y'all with me? He's put away. Okay? God is dealing with him. So what are they doing? They're leaving him to the Lord. And if he is still contrary, and he's still honorary, the Bible says he'll be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved. What does that mean? God will start working on him. Actually, he lets his hand off and lets Satan handle it. Anyway, anyway, we'll get back to that. Now, what's the next thing that happens? All right, first thing that happens, unrepentant saint, he's put away. Number two. What's the next thing that takes place? We believe that sin causes what? Sickness. Watch this. Psalms 107.17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are... All right, look at Micah 6.13. Micah 6.13. Watch this. Therefore also will I make thee... I will make thee in smiting thee and in making thee desolate because of thy... Now, let's, let's just read the underlined words in this verse. The first part and the last part. Read it with me. Therefore also will I make thee... Si- Come on, everybody, get with me. Therefore also will I make thee sick. Why? Because of thy... All right, you say, oh, but that's Old Testament. All right, how about the New Testament? 1 Corinthians 11.30, perfect prime example. For this cause, the treatment of the Lord's Supper, there's sin in that. Because, it says, for this cause, many are, that many are among you, and many, which means they died. In other words, they got so sick, and because of their unrepentant heart, they died. So preacher, what's the point? Here's the point. Look at the next verse, Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, here's the key to that. God's not going to whip somebody who's not his. My father did not go through the neighborhood snatching up youngins and whipping them. Y'all with me? But when his lost their mind and did something ignorant. Y'all with me? Why? He loved me. I belong to him. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And it also says this, if ye are without chastening, ye are a bastard and not a son. The word bastard means illegitimate. You claim to be a son, 
but you're not. There are people today, there are people today that claim to be saved. And they're whore hopping around. They're running around, still living the lifestyle of a, a lost sinner out in the street. And nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. But you let a true child of God, somebody that has been born again, somebody who is redeemed, their name is in the Lamb's book of life, you let them get ignorant and stupid. And I promise you this, God's got a belt this wide. Let's, let's, let's just be honest today. It's just us today. How many of y'all God's had to use that belt on you before? Yeah, me too. So what happens? This person is dealt with. He is put away. He's put out of fellowship. He's put out of fellowship not to punish, but to, for the sake of restoration. We want him to know we love him, we care about him, but you can't be living this way. You can't be doing this and be in full fellowship. So this person is unrepentant in their sin. So what does God do? God chastens him. And sometimes God chastens him with what? Sickness. Sickness. Does this make sense so far? What's the next step? What's the next step? Look at your notes. First thing is there's an unrepentant saint, an unrepentant child of God who will not make it right. So the leaders, the elders, the, what's in parentheses, the spiritual have to put him out for for. His sake, for his sake. Now watch. Then, then because of sin, God chastens. And by the way, you can't get away with that. If you are a true child of God and you're living in an unrepentant lifestyle, you will get a whooping. No ifs, ands, buts about it. No getting out of it. No getting away from it. So just, and you say, well, I'm not. Well, you don't belong to him then. And that's even worse Church, say amen. amen. So what happens? The brother repents. The brother's sorry. The brother's like the prodigal. He's tired of this hog pen. He's tired of not having enough to eat. More importantly, he's tired of his sickness. His sickness. Aren't you glad that when we do come to our senses... I like the way the Bible refers it. When he came to himself. When he woke up. What am I doing here? What is he to do? What is he to do? The repentant brother. What's the next word? Oh, look at there. Why does he call for the elders of the church? Because he's put out. He's out of fellowship with the church. He's out of fellowship with God's people. They had to discipline him. They had to, they had to deal with it. But now he wants to make it right. He wants to do right. So what does he do? What does he do? Look what the Bible says he does. James 5, 14. Is any sick among you? Let him. Let him. All right. What's in parentheses in verse number, or, or, or point number three? Say it again. So the same group of people. The in love put him or, what's the word? Away, away. Church discipline, the ones responsible for church discipline, that same group of people when he says, guys, I need you. I'm sick. Guess what? Yes. But number four, the elders or the, or the, what do they do? They come to restore a now repentant brother. Look at Galatians 6.1. Look at Galatians 6.1. Brethren, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a, ye which are, who's that? That's them leaders. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So what? The spiritual group, <clears throat> these leaders come. They get around this brother, and they pray for him. What does he do? He confesses his sin. He confesses his disobedience. He confesses he makes it right with God. And what, what does the spiritual crowd do? They pray for him. They restore him. Matter of fact, 
in 2 Corinthians, you'll learn that the old boy who was messing around in 1 Corinthians, he made it right. And you know what Paul encouraged him to do? You need to bring him back. You need to restore him. You need to, hey, lest he be overcome with overmuch sorrow. In other words, hey, he's broken, he's repented, he's made it right. Let's get him back where he needs. He's back in the fellowship. Well, it's the same thing we do with our children, or you should do. You shouldn't whip your child and, and punish them or correct them and then, and then be angry at them and still scoff at them the rest of the day. Once the correction is done, once the whipping is over, you ought to wrap your arms around them and say, we love you and we want you and we love you. We want you here in fellowship. Somebody say amen. Ye which are spiritual, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. What's that verse say? Look what it says. Look what it says. In verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed, they shall be forgiven him. So what do they do? They go to him. They pray over him. He confesses. And guess what? Brought back into fellowship. What happens when that takes place? Look at number five. When the elders of spiritual comes and restore a now repentant brother, God provides forgiveness and healing. Watch what it says in verse 15 and 16. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. If he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now he says, look guys, this is why this is so important. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Confess your faults one to another. If you've done somebody wrong, you go to him and you fix it. You go to her and you fix it. You don't let it simmer. You don't let it fester. You don't let it grow into a grudge. You know, it's a sad thing that the church, which should be the most loving place, the most forgiving place, the most humble place, the most accepting place, the most merciful place, is usually the place where you can get your feelings hurt the quickest, where people can hold grudges for years and years and years and years, sitting in the same church on opposite sides of the building, hating one another the whole time. You think God's pleased with that? We wonder why people get sick. Let me tell you something. I believe there's a lot of people that has, has experienced sickness in their life, suffering in their life, not because of just a, because of sin, because of hatred, because of bitterness, because of unforgiveness. They had their feelings hurt, and now so-and-so's done said this, or so-and-so's done that, or the leadership of the church did this, or they brought this in, and, and because of that, they're suffering in sickness. Let me tell you something. Bitterness is like an acid. It'll eat you from the inside out. And I believe with all of my heart, there has been people that have left this world early. Did you hear me? Early because of sin. There has been times that my dad, I, I've heard him tell, I, I remember when I was a little kid I heard this. Someone that he was sitting at the bedside, eat up with cancer, just eat up with cancer, painful. And my dad's sitting there praying and ministering and just trying to encourage. He said, preacher, I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. I'm in this bed because of my sin." God has tried and tried and tried and tried to get my attention. And I'm telling you, preacher, I know this without a shadow of a doubt. You don't say nothing. Don't try to talk me out. I know I'm in this bed because of my sin. You know what? I believe it. Preacher, what's the point? I'll tell you the point. Let's don't have unconfessed sin in our life. How many of y'all believe the Bible when it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Raise your hand. Everybody, y'all believe that? Then why don't we believe, be not, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man, that shall he also. Why don't we believe it when it says, the, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. 
Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying that I believe with all of my heart James is specifically dealing with somebody who is sick because of their sin. He's already dealt with the suffering. He's already dealt with those who are living right and yet they're going through difficulty. I believe he's specifically in these verses of Scripture dealing with somebody who is sick because of their sin. Because when you tie all the other verses in the Bible that deal with sickness or somebody who is unrepentant, that what you are supposed to do with them, how to, how to uh, 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 institute church discipline, how to restore them, what they are to do, they are to ask you to pray and, ask and confess. Y'all with me? Now, let's talk, about, let's talk about number three, the promise he emphasizes. The promise. There's two things here. One is a prayer of faith, and the other is the practice of anointing. Because it's there. It's there. You can't ignore it, and you can't take that out. It's there. He says, let them, let them go to this person taking, taking oil, anointing them with oil, and, 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 and pray the prayer of faith. Now, what is that? What is that? Let me, let me say this. It's always the prayer of faith that does the healing. Y'all with me? Now let's talk about both of these. What does this mean? Look at this verse. It says in, in, in verse number 15. Verse number 15. Are you there? It says, when you come, when the elders come, and they pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall what? Shall... Save the sick. Or the word save there means to deliver. To deliver. Okay? Now here's, here's what I want you to look at. It is not the anointing that heals, but the praying. The praying. But what is the prayer of faith? What's the prayer of faith that has the ability to heal the sick? We find that answer in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We know it's not just any prayer. How many of y'all prayed for somebody and they got worse? Be honest. How many of y'all prayed for something and it didn't happen? Okay? So what is the prayer of faith? What, how, do you, how is it possible to have the ability to pray without a question, without a shadow of a doubt, it's going to happen, and you have that kind of confidence and that kind of prayer? Watch this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his, he, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Watch this. Watch this. So that teaches us the prayer of faith is a prayer offered. Read it with me. Offered when you know the will of God. When you know the will of God. But where we have the inner conviction from the word and the spirit that it is God's will to heal, then we can pray the prayer of faith and expect God to work. Now, I'm going I'm I'm to illustrate and I'm going I'm to talk about that in just a second. But let's, let's look at the, 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 the oil first and then we'll come back to the prayer of faith. <clears throat> because he gives an illustration. He gives an illustration of Elijah and how Elijah prayed the prayer of faith, okay? But let's talk about the old just a minute. Uh, what's, what's in parentheses under the prayer of faith? Say it with me. All right, what's in parentheses under the practice of anointing? Natural. That's so important that you get that. One deals with the supernatural. One deals with the natural. Now let me explain. The word anointing in this text is a medicinal term. It could be translated massaging. In other words, if I have a wound and I massage oil in it, this may be an indication that James suggests using available means for healing along with asking the Lord for his divine touch. God can heal with or without the means in each case. It is God who does the healing. Say amen. What is here recommended was to be done as a natural means of restoring health which while they used prayer and supplication to God, they were not to neglect. Oil in Judea was celebrated for its sanative qualities, so they scarcely, or excuse me, so that they scarcely ever took a journey without carrying oil with them. 
which, uh, with which they anointed their bodies, healed their wounds, bruises, uh, etc. All was and is frequently used in the East as a means of the cure in various dangerous diseases. Now, here's an illustration that we have in Luke chapter number 10, verse 33. How many of y'all remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Man's wounded, he's been beat up, he's wounded, he's left for dead. Now watch what he does. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in, pouring in and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So what was the good Samaritan doing? He was using the medicine... The medicine, say it with me, he was using the, the medicine or the natural, the natural remedy that he had at the time. Does that make sense? So what is James really teaching us here? I believe this is what James said in just a practical way. And just, just, just saying it, I believe this, that God gives us the ability. He gives us natural remedies or natural means for healing. God has given herbs of the field. God has given different leaves and different berries and different all kinds of stuff that does stuff. That's how you have the ability to take a pill and your blood pressure go. (whistles) Y'all with me? Now, let's apply this. Does that mean we need to go through life knowing that God has the supernatural ability to heal go through life our whole life and says, I'm not taking no medicine, I'm not taking anything, I'm not blah, 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 I'm just going to pray and ask God. No, that's stupid. Why? Because God gives the ability, God gives the wisdom, God gives uh, doctors the, the knowledge to be able to help you. Now, what we need to do is say, Doc, help me. And he gives you your medicine, your oil, if you want to use the word, your natural remedy, but then you trust the one who created you. Hey, I'm all about a Tylenol when I got a headache. Say amen. He's saying use the natural remedy you have, but don't be so dependent on the natural you forget about the supernatural. Does this make sense? I think there's way too many Christians who think there's some kind of uh, uh, concoction in the oil that when it's put on your forehead that it makes and fixes everything. I don't think that's what it's teaching. Well, do you, do you anoint people with oil and pray? I do. If they ask me to, I do. But I, I really truly believe that what the point is being made is use the natural remedy you have. Use the natural remedy you have and pray and ask God to heal. Now, in this particular situation, I believe this. Until the spiritual issue was healed, the physical issue wouldn't be healed. That's why the confession was necessary. You got to deal with the sin in the heart before you can deal with the wound in the body. Because the whole point of the wound in the body is to get you to deal with the sin. So why should God answer your prayer for physical healing if you're still in a spiritual bad shape? Why do you think he healed the one guy and then said, hey, now go and sin no more? He was acting ignorant to get in his shape. Now don't do that no more. Y'all with me? So he not only dealt with the physical, he dealt with the spiritual too. And here in this this chapter, I believe, now I know what some of y'all are thinking. Y'all are kind of wigged out because your whole life you've been told one thing and, and you've heard one thing. And now like, oh, what? This is truth. When you compare Scripture with Scripture, Bible with Bible, this is the only conclusion you can come to. Are y'all with me? Now, now, watch this. Uh, Let's look at the last illustration, because this will will really, really make good, good, good sense. Now, well, let me me back up. I forgot one. Uh, we're talking about we're talking about you know when he says public sin and private sin, public sin confess publicly, private sin confess privately. You always you you always deal with the sin in the context of who the sin was against. In other words, if I did Brother Griggs wrong, I wouldn't come all y'all and say I want to announce to everybody that I did Brother Griggs wrong. Who would I go to? 
if me and him's the only one knows it, that's who I need to go with and, 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 and leave it there. Y'all with me? Now watch this. How many of y'all remember there was a man by the name of Peter who was having a conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ? And, 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 and Jesus said, look, man, look, your, your, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Satan has desired to have thee, they may sift you as wheat. He said, but I've prayed for thee. I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. See, this is a saved person. This is, this is a believer. Some people believe, well, Peter got saved after. I don't believe that. I believe when he made the confession to Jesus, I believe when he made the confession to Jesus, when, when Jesus said, who, who do men say that I am? Peter said, I believe, we, we believe thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, flesh and blood is not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom. What you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Somebody say amen. He had the keys. He had the potential. But he got weak. He got weak. His spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. And Jesus, at a moment in time, Jesus said this. He said, everybody, the, the shepherd's going to be smitten and the sheep are going to scatter. In other words, y'all going to bug out on me. And you know what Peter said? Huh? No, 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 they all can't. I'm not, I'll die. I'll die for you. You know what he's saying? I love you more than all these boys. I'm a whole lot more spiritual than these. I'm, I'm, woo, I'm with you. Hey, let them run. I ain't going nowhere. I love you more than all these. Well, that's arrogant, wasn't it? And what'd he do? Before the cock crew, he did what? He denied him. How many times? Now watch, he's fallen. He's fallen. And all the disciples knew it. Now watch. After the resurrection, they're out fishing and catching nothing. They see a man on the shore. Children, have you any meat? We ain't got nothing. They cast your nets on the other side. They bring in all these fish. And Peter says, now, now wait a minute. This is deja vu. This has happened before. And the last time this happened, it was the Lord. He bails over. Goes to shore. Now watch. Jesus has got a, Jesus has got a fire and the coals and something to eat watch watch they're all gathered around jesus the disciples and peter now watch peter the fallen one peter the one overtaken in a fault sin but fault i'm I'm using the verses we just used the one overtaken in a fault. And all the disciples knew it. They all knew what he said. They all knew what he'd done. He did it in front of them. Peter, the one fallen, the one overtaken in a fault. Jesus, the spiritual one. The elder. The leader. What does he do, Peter? Lovest thou me more than these? You know what he was doing? He was reminding them of that conversation they had before. Now let's try this again, Peter. Lovest thou me more than these? Oh, Lord, you, you know I love you. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? You know, you know Lord, I love you. Peter, lovest thou me? Me more than these. You know, he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my... The last time, Peter said, you know. What was happening? The fallen has connected with the spiritual. And before he's restored, he has to confess. Yes. When he confesses, Lord, you know all things. 
I ain't going to fight it no more. I ain't going to, Lord, you know. You know where I stand. You know who I am. Lord, you know. And at that point, he's restored. And guess who got to stand on the day of Pentecost and preach and see thousands saved? The one overtaken in a fault. <laughs> Y'all ain't getting it. I can tell right now. About, about 1.30 in the morning, you're going to jump straight out of bed and say, Woo! Because you're going to realize that we have a God who loves us even in our brokenness. And loves us enough to correct us. If he's so loving, why would he make me get sick? So you can get right. Can you imagine if Peter stayed in that condition? He'd have never got to experience the power of God like he did in Acts chapter number 2. But it came because ye which are, help me, ye which are, restore such a one. 